0: This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy.
1: <laughs> this episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Hi, I'm Norman Lau, co-host of Mission Log. While Daniel and Paul are doing a bang-up job covering the wide world of pop culture, we're talking Star Trek, one episode at a time over at Mission Log, looking for morals, meanings, and messages. In fact, there are a whole lot of other shows at podcasts.roddenberry.com for you to choose from. Science, feminism, even daily news. Boldly go and find us when you're done here, of course. Again, that address is podcasts.roddenberry.com, and we will be delighted to have you check us out.
0: Kia ora and welcome to episode 77, Two Little Crutches. It's another episode of Half Measures. That's a bingo call, Paul. You may know that from the the local bingo events that you go to.
1: I got Dan. I I am familiar with it, um, but I have switched up my game from bingo to bridge. I find that more engaging, and th- it's a lot quieter as well. So yeah, less bingo in my life these mm-hmm.
0: days. Mm-hmm. What a day, Paul. How you been? You're you doing all right.
1: Yeah, I'm good. I uh, you know the Olympics has just finished, so I feel like I. I might have some time to watch a few more things than I have this this last week because it's been pretty pretty awesome to watch that. So uh, that's my excuse. See how I, I front-loaded that?
0: The thing I like about the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games or any of those events is, I, I don't know about you, but I typically just turn the TV on and it's a bit of a surprise of what I'm going to get. And I can be sure, like, oh, we're in the finals for this and you're sort of keeping an eye out. But I, I just kind of enjoy, like, is it a track and field day? Is it a, a day at the pool? Are we are we in some other super event that we don't know about?
1: It's fun. It is good fun. I think the thing that I I was most amazed by was the rock climbing, where they would just set up these, these boulders for people to climb and they'd have a certain amount of time to do it. And it was just the most extraordinary thing to watch. And sometimes they'd run out of time. Sorry, sometimes they had heaps of time left, but they just walked away from the wall. They're like, I can't deal with it. I, I can't do it. And they just walk away. <laughs> it's just the most extraordinary thing.
0: The thing that, the thing that really um, amazes me about the Olympics is I, you know, much like we talk about in the Bad Batch, like I want to understand the process. I want to understand the process of how all of a sudden you, you choose your niche sport. Like for example, like we're pretty good as a country at shot put with Valerie Adams, but like, I think, you know, if I flash back to when I was at school, we maybe did shot put twice, like. Is that my, if I got one shot, one opportunity, I've got to lose myself? Like, and then I've got to, like, oh God, that was pretty good. I better sign up to an athletics club. Like, how do you, how do you razor, you know, laser, Mm. laser into what you're going to be good at?
1: That's a really good call. It's a really good call. And I think our listeners will join me in saying thank goodness that there wasn't more attention paid to that shot, but just in case you were good at it, because the chances are you wouldn't be here now, Dan.
0: Indeed. Speaking of things that we are good at, Watching things on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. What have you been watching, my friend?
1: Okay, so following on from last week's review of one of the the greatest movies ever, Terminator 2, uh, you may recall I jokingly remarked uh, that I'll be watching Terminator 3 and it could be the second best movie of our time. And to be honest, whilst I was obviously joking, the truth is, this movie was always going to be an impossible ask for a movie to follow Terminator 2, and so uh, I guess I want to give my thoughts of that on that movie somehow out of the shadow of that movie. I don't know how I cope, but we'll, we'll see. Um, so, you know, we're like, what are we now? 91, so like 14 years on from from Terminator 2. And once again, a machine from the future travels back to protect a man and a woman uh, from an advanced robotic assassin. It's a lot better than I remember it. Uh, And yet I will say straight away that, and we'll see how we go, I think this is my least favourite of all six. But it was better than I remember. I think I just had a, a, a poor memory of it being awful. There are some flaws. There's some awful writing yeah, it's um, it, it's it's just hard to follow it up. And it, for me, it's the cast. And so, you know, with the exception of Claire Danes, you know, Carrie Matheson, it's weird seeing her um, coming in, and and Annie. With the exception of those two, I feel like the cast in this movie is what really lets it down for me. You know, and I'll jump into some of those in a minute. But Dan, what's just quickly because obviously you've seen this, what's your sort of feel on this movie?
0: It's funny because I think I would actually like I can pretty clearly give you a synopsis of Terminator One and two and probably the most recent Terminator movie. but after that, they all kind of blur together for me in a bit of a melting pot and I like and that's probably what you've just said before about the the cast not quite working is kind of my standout memory of the next couple of movies. and so I, I couldn't actually tell you, gun to my head what some of the key points of differences are between three four and five?
1: Oh, okay okay so three three we have um christana loken she plays uh the tx which is the advanced terminator which is still the liquid like robert patrick but it's also got the machinery so it can it can form complex parts as well which is why she can turn into guns and all the rest of it which is which is which is pretty cool but yeah it's i mean the story isn't quite there but next style uh and maybe I'm going to be really harsh and really unfair, but he's not how I imagine John Connor at this age. Edward Furlong, right? He was great for that young John, but Nick Style, he's a weak link. I, I feel terrible because, you know, it's, it's a bit of, I also feel terrible saying that I don't think Christina Lockin was, I don't think she, I can't think I think she did wrong per se, but I don't know. I just wasn't overly convinced. And I think when you go from that younger John, Linda Hamilton and Robert Patrick to a cast that we have here it's never going to help any director you know to try and you know as i said stick up to the to the shadow of terminator 2 um but what i will say on the positives i think some of the action scenes in this movie i've forgotten how awesome they were they are absolutely massive there is a scene where we have um the the TX she's driving like this huge crane and she's remote controlling uh, a, a an ambulance and a police car and Schwarzenegger's chasing her in a fire truck down the street it is absolutely epic and I would say it actually rivals Terminator two action scenes it's it, which is possibly a big call but I think that is absolutely um superb um the other point I was going to mention is Annie is in great shape in this movie this is. 19 19 years on from the first one right i think i looked up he was like 56 years old and he's still there doing the you know the, the the arrive from the future you know completely stackers um you know so so fair play to him um but yeah this is this is this is bottom of the pile unfortunately
0: I think you know even even today uh, and all sorts of things he's still he's still going strong he's still got like a great physique and, and could easily pull this off. It's so crazy, isn't it? Because the first couple of movies are so perfect, and even though you know we've talked about how one you know has kind of aged and could probably do with potentially a bit of a remake. Mm. Um, it, it's a shame that that it's sort of gone down this quite messy path. Now. I'm gonna sort of put myself out there and ask you a naive question. I can't quite remember the answer to. Where does Christian Bale's Terminator Salvation fit into this? Is this-
1: yeah, so that's that's next. That's the 2009 movie. So that's the fourth one in in sequence. Um, so that'll be yeah, I'll be talking about that next week. Uh, that'll be this weekend's watch. Will be that one.
0: I think so. Th- so that one, when I sort of started thinking about them, stands out a bit more to me. Um, and I, I remember quite enjoying that one. So I'll be looking forward to your review on that one next week
1: yeah i'm I'm looking forward to that as well the other the other positive just while i'm trying to be a bit more upbeat this one has some real good special effects and i've forgotten because you know terminator 2 was so good compared to the first one but this one we've got some real good close-ups on annie's face where he's got like only half of his human face and then half of it you know you think about like cyborg in the justice league movie this is you know nearly 20 years ago that's that that was pretty well i think this movie is aging really well in that respect but um but yeah we'll see looking forward to salvation next week uh, the other thing i watched uh this week is a an eight episode tv series uh called dr death um so the synopsis for this one as patients entering the operating room of dr chris dunch for routine spinal surgeries start leaving permanently maimed or dead two fellow surgeons and a young a district uh, sorry assistant district attorney set out to stop him um this one in new zealand is available on tvnz on demand and i i literally saw the the poster i saw the cast and i was like I need to see this. And then I discover it's a true stories. Dan, if this, if this is one of those TV series where it wasn't a true story, I think I would be sat there shaking my head and saying, I just don't buy that. This would really happy. That's really happened. Sorry. The, 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 writers are, you know, they're stretching it or whatever. That's what I'd be saying. But it's, it's just so unreal that this doctor was able to do what he did over and over again. and, you know, just cripple or kill these people and leave them unable to, to to walk or talk or breathe. It's absolutely shocking, Dan. It's it's unbelievable.
0: I am intrigued by the concept uh only because when you think about, obviously, surgery, you're not sort of working from home, one-man band on that. Like, you've actually, you know, you're, you're in an operating theater, you've got a, a team of people around you. And so I'm presuming this sort of digs into how everyone else kind of, I imagine, kind of becomes complicit in the in the death of some of these people
1: or yeah so you're absolutely right so the the assistant surgeon the the nurses the the other people in the operating room in particular the ones that are sort of called into you know you can imagine it goes to court those are the ones that come forward but gaining evidence gaining actual proof because i'm not a doctor dan but you know (laughs) if you imagine i've opened up a hole and then i'm doing something and it's the proof to be able to you know it would, um it's 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 quite complicated you know um it's it, it's a fascinating watch though i'll tell you that much and i think the the thing for me is the fact that nobody seems to know why he's doing what he's doing is he doing it on purpose and actually causing harm you know when he when he's clearly very intelligent uh, or is he actually just not that good a surgeon and can't practically do the things even though he's he knows the stuff like he's he's talking about revolutionary stuff in the field in terms of theory and, and that so it's it's, it's it's fascinating
0: so this is a an interesting one right because it started as a podcast or obviously a, a podcast based on kind of the events that happened as, as far as i understand it and then got converted into a,
1: a tv show Dan, you've done more research than me, and the space it's taken me to talk about this show. I didn't know that. Um, I just, I, I simply saw, you know, based on the the true story, and then when the credits start, you know, it's got that. Uh, any other events? Uh, purely, you know, when they put the little disclaimer up, but it's basically, yeah. So that's fascinating that it came from that because, um, that unless I missed it, uh, yeah, I was unaware. So,
0: I think, um, as you say, like. One thing that really grabs you from the start is a great cast like Joshua Jackson. Like you know, I feel like the last time I've really um, enjoyed him it was in Fringe. I, he might he's probably done other stuff since then, but loved him in there. I've been like a long time fan of Christian Slater, Alec Baldwin, top guy. Like it's it's they've really gone all out.
1: That's right, and you throw um, there's like Kelsey Grammer in there as well. It's um, like Joshua Jackson. Like you say, Fringe I think that's the last time. I didn't see I didn't I never got into Dawson's Creek. He is a tremendous actor and he plays Dr. Dunch for me. I mean, I don't know what the, the real Dunch is like, even though I've seen pictures of him. He plays him absolutely perfectly just from the point of view. He's he's just really reassuring. He's such a confident manner, exactly what you'd want to hear from a surgeon who's about to operate on your back. He's got that real, he's almost like a I was talking to Diana when we watched. I think I I sort of said he's got like a George Clooney quality to the way he delivers his lines, and he's he's he really really rocked in this role. And and speaking of voices, as I said, um, Kelsey Grammer when he and Alec Baldwin are in the room together, two great voices going back and forth. It was just really good. Even just listening was just a a real treat. And and as you also said, Christian Slater. um, I haven't seen him in a long time he <laughs> he plays a character dan i think you would love he is a real straight talking takes no prisoners is always looking for a, um uh gets a to b he isn't bothered who he offends along the way and he's on the verge of like you know taking action that's way more extreme than the, than the situation calls for he's a great character in this and obviously based on a real life person
0: I think we're going to have to have Christian Slater as one of our uh, peak performances in the very near future.
1: That's a that's a really good call, actually, because I I'd forgotten how much I enjoy him, and uh, I did I did start thinking, oh, what else has he been that I could go away and watch? Because yeah, really good. The support cast are all really good. Some of them were were new to me, but um, yeah, the 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 shock factor of this being a true story is what is the most compelling. I mean, I would a hundred percent recommend it i'd give it all the guns but as i say if it wasn't a true story i would be giving it two guns because i'd just simply be saying this cannot how can you expect people to believe this it's just unreal
0: and so this is just a, a limited series sort of one-off at
1: this yeah, point it, it is indeed yeah just the eight uh the eight episodes and yeah the way it ends i that's that's the story done there's no more there's <laughs> there cannot be any more story to tell so yeah this is a a, a one-off
0: great recommendation
1: that is what I've been watching, Dan. What about you? What have you been watching this week?
0: Well, I've been uh, I've been hitting the movies um, pretty hard. So based on you know last week you talked to us about Fear Street Part One, I thought you know what I've got to get on it. Nice. Um, the trains leaving the station, and I, I haven't even started. So we we got into Part One, and we actually watched all three movies <laughs> in one night. <laughs> wow, so- <laughs> that's
1: great! I love that.
0: And so, so Fear Street Part 1, 1994, um, Part 2, 1978, and then Part 3, 1666. So I thought I might sort of talk about them quite holistically. Uh, And so I guess what was interesting about this is coming into it, you know, I mentioned last week and we kind of talked a little bit about, I kind of, you know, a lot of people have been hyping this series up for me. This is great. It's like Stranger Things. It's a lot of fun. And I'll tell you what, I didn't overly actually enjoy the first movie. I started to kind of vibe it a little bit more in movies two and three. Mm. And then when the whole that when I had kind of all the pieces laid out in front of me, I was like, oh yeah, it's not too bad. But it definitely I don't know. I think if I'd watched it with no sort of uh pretext around how good or how good it was, yeah. I probably would have enjoyed it a little bit more. Um and I think I guess a couple of couple of just sort of comments is definitely you know quite you know RL Stein you know often his books were kind of targeted at that sort of teenage young adult um like I was sort of 12 13 14 year olds mm. but this is very much picked at the pitched at sort of older kids um pretty, pretty violent pretty lots of blood mm. lots of gore um interesting kind of subject matters i think one of my favorite things across the particularly the first two movies is I guess all of the the great callbacks to the to the nineties and to the yeah. the late seventies just in terms of um the music and like the soundtrack the dress the you know just some of the cool things that they kind of called out in there so so that was quite fun and i i actually also really enjoyed actually the the last movie sixteen sixty six and i I liked the way that they kind of would move between the uh, I guess the, the current the current state and then would go back in time as well. It was it was a fascinating sort of way to pull together a big story.
1: When you said that 1666 I thought, oh it means 1966. That's okay. I'll tell him later. But no, 1666. <laughs> Amazing.
0: <laughs> You've got no confidence in me. <laughs> um yeah no so so basically it goes without sort of spoiling the whole premise of the show, I don't know whether you're going to watch the, the other movies, it goes back to the very origin and of where this whole situation started. And actually right in the first movie, uh, in the 1994 one, they actually referenced the events in 1966. So it's quite cool. And obviously they, they use a lot of the same actors and cast throughout the three movies. Mm. So I think it's something quite cool and unique. I love that they they kind of drop these week after week. I don't think it would have worked if it was like three, like a year between each each film. I think people would have lost interest. But I think to do it this way is kind of a Mm. a fun, fun, unique thing. It equally could have been a you know a twelve part uh, TV show. But no, it's a. I think it's good. I think it's not going to be the greatest thing that we've ever seen. It's it's pretty light, light horror at the best of times, but. Yeah, do you think you're going to check out the
1: other two movies? I think I think we will go there eventually. I'm really, A, pleased to hear that you think it sort of gets better as it goes along because that's not always the case with, with sequels and certainly not with this genre perhaps. I thought it was really interesting when you made the observation you know, that they dropped them all so quickly. And I'm trying to think of another uh, trilogy of movies where they've just literally just dropped one, two, three like that, and I can't think of any that's done that before and i i see what you mean about you know they could easily have done this as a 12 powder because if they'd done it as a 12 powder of course i would have just kept going the whole way through but because they've made it a separate movie i feel like i can stop and come back to it when i want but what i'm hearing is i'll probably enjoy it more if i just dive straight in
0: And I'll tell you, one of the things that actually put me off on the first movie that, not put me off, but I guess sort of dulled my interest a little bit, is I felt like a lot of characters were dying know various situations, but I felt like I didn't know the characters, so I kind of felt like I had no skin in the game as such, Mm. and I was like, should I know this person? Like, should I care more about them? And... I think by the time you actually get to the third movie, you've got a, a much deeper sense of what the what the fear is all about and um, why some of these things are happening, and it all kind of makes a bit more sense. But you know, Paul, how you know sometimes we talk about like vampires aren't your thing. Yeah, I feel like anything to do with like witches and stuff kind of really freaks me out as well. So I sort of got that, that that added factor for me.
1: Nice, I like that. I like that, and I like the that you picked up on what I said around the. Um, yeah, people dying left right and center in that first movie you haven't even got time to process that person over there dying because the next person's being hit and that that i found quite um interesting i wasn't sure how they keep that up for three movies so i'm getting a sense that two and three could be uh definitely be worth it um and i'll keep in the back of my mind the uh the witch thing because you know halloween's only a couple of months away
0: it's one of those like morbid fascinations, though. Like you know, if I take the Blair Witch project, absolutely terrifies me to my core. Even even now talking about it, but I need to see it. Like I've got to be part of it. Yeah. And I've got to be part of the hype. But I'm also scared. It's a complicated situation.
1: You may have told this story before, Dan, but how did you first see the Blair Witch? Was uh, it a, was it a cinema experience? Was it in the in the daytime with the light on?
0: N- oh no, that was The Exorcist. Oh, that
1: was The Exorcist. Oh, okay, that was the one. yeah
0: yeah yeah. For for listeners at home, <laughs> uh, when I. Uh, when I saw The Exorcist, I saw it during the day, That's right. um, and I, I just moved um, to a new city, and I was waiting to meet someone. And so I thought, oh, I've got a few hours to kill. I'll go to the movies. Went to see the the twentieth anniversary or whatever it was, thirtieth anniversary, whatever, or whatever it was, fortieth of The Exorcist, and I'm the only one in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying.
1: <laughs> so good.
0: Not the way to go. I don't know at, at what point am I thinking about going to that movie during? You yeah. know, not for me. Okay, the other thing I've actually I've been back to the theater, keeping the theater keeping the industry alive. I love it. And I've been to see uh The Suicide Squad. So this is the latest uh DC movie directed by James Gunn. A lot of hype around this movie. This is it's it's kind of an interesting one, right? Because we all know Suicide Squad came out, you know, a few years ago bit of a flop. Mm -hmm. Um, still talked about, you know, relatively negatively most of the time. But they've changed it up this time. They've put a the in front of Suicide Squad and this is this is the new movie. And it's not a it's not a sequel. It's not a it's not a reboot. It's just kind of it's it's they're you know, it's its its own thing. It uses some of the same actors and some of the same cast, mm. um, but it's not meant to continue that story. It's not meant to override it. It's just the Suicide Squad.
1: I, I, I Look, I can cope with it because I, I keep thinking of how they did Terminator Dark Fate in terms of the same way. You know, it wasn't a reboot, but they just sort of went back a little. Um, basically, Dan, what I'm looking to hear from you is, is this better than – Suicide Squad.
0: Um, it is so. So this is a this is a lot better. This is, this is a, a really good movie. This like James Gunn is a great storyteller. Um, he what I love about him is he's done amazing work with Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. I love that he's kind of been given the keys to the castle with the Suicide Squad, and he's been able to. Take a movie that didn't really work and largely land all of the the core components of what makes the Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad. And this is a movie where I've really tried hard to avoid the the sort of trailers for it because this is a movie where you expect lots of character deaths. Like you you want the shock value, you want the kind of surprise and delight of what characters are going to appear in there. It's pretty hard to avoid um, trailers though when you go to the movies quite regularly because obviously they're they're always kind of showing them to you but mm. this this was this is a really good movie. Um and I've actually had a bit of a an interesting journey with with my I guess review feelings of it. When I first came out of the movie, I was like, did I enjoy that? Like it was good, but it was pretty hyped up. I like I enjoyed the story. There's quite a few funny moments, but was it a bit long? Like is it good? But then the more it's kind of sat with me over the week. I've actually decided that it was really good. I think this is such a, a fun retelling of of the the characters from this universe. I think they really give characters like Harley Quinn like a, another sort of extra edge on them. It's got great characters like Idris Elba as Bloodsport. It's got John Cena as Peacemaker. John Cena as Peacemaker, absolutely awesome. He's actually got his own series coming on HBO. Wow. It's I actually think this. It's got Nathan Fillion. It's got. There's so many. Sort of, um, you know, small little uh, DC characters who, you know, you may be a slight fan of, but you might not know know lots about. And mm. they just do such a good job at telling a story, and it's full of sort of, you know, great R-rated humor. It's a good watch. I'd recommend it. All the guns,
1: all the guns for James Gunn. I love that. I'm, I'm really fascinated to watch this because I remember being so hyped for the, for Suicide Squad in 2016, and and it feels like this is now the the real deal and i lo- i love the idea that james gunn who you know has tried and tested i am shocked that because you know disney i'm surprised they even allow it you know because they're pretty tight on contracts and you know to go from marvel to go and actually you know f- to go across the road to dc i'm surprised that they they even allow him to do that but who knows i guess it's all the the fallout is that right
0: Oh yeah, that's right. So um, you know, you may remember uh, near the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Two, they actually let James Gunn go for some sort of controversy around some previous tweets that he'd done, not to Mm. our social media um, manager, and there was a and so. DC kind of swooped in and picked him up and, and had him working on the Suicide Squad. He kind of pitched an idea. They were like, yep, we love it. And he went away and worked on it. Meanwhile, fans are kind of outcrying that we want Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We want James Gunn to finish his story. And they eventually brought him back in into the mm. fold once they obviously calmed down and called the Jets. And, you know, I think what's great about it is I love that, like, What I love about it is there's great DC stuff, there's great Marvel stuff. It doesn't have to be versus all the time. You actually can enjoy both. You can enjoy Star Trek and Star Wars. You can enjoy Holden and Ford. Like You don't have to be just about one thing.
1: I love that. I love the examples you use, real cross-section of the audience. James Gunn fascinates me because when I look at his his resume, and I mean this with all due respect, basically before – Guardians of the Galaxy I'm looking and I'm like what is there in there that he did that actually got him to that point because there's not much in there and then all of a sudden you know he came in and Guardians was that is one of the few Marvel movies I've seen and I thought it was absolutely brilliant um and now he's now he's in real hot demand so it's it's amazing how people you know what's their breakthrough movies I, I just can't pick it for this one
0: I think it is a like it is interesting with like quite a few directors and I think I've started to become really aware of that as we've done the half measures pod that all of a sudden you'll just have a director that has a smash hit and they've literally come from from nowhere. Like they've they've directed nothing else. And I guess you've always got to get your start somewhere, right? And sometimes they just nail it. And I think, you know, James Gunn is someone who's got great vision. He you, you can tell he like he cares about all these characters. He's trying to do them justice. He's trying to sort of pay homage to the comic book fans. It's a good thing.
1: It's great. Once again, Dan, finger on the pulse. This is of the top one thousand uh, trending. This is the number one most popular movie on the MDB trending list. So once again, you're keeping us real current. I appreciate it. Yeah.
0: Look, and I, I look forward to actually watching this movie again uh, in the in the comfort of my own home. Like you know, now that I've seen it, you know, you've you've got all the hype out of your system. Mm. I think this is good. Um, it and I think it does connect well to other movies that we've talked about on here as well, like the Harley Quinn movie
1: and. That that was what I was just going to say I was just how does it um, does it sync up Does it feel like it syncs up to Birds of Prey?
0: Oh, definitely. And there's there's some great scenes uh, where Harley Quinn sort of going on a bit of a killing spree, and it's got a real Birds of Prey vibe to it, where it's also sort the of colourful nice. and it, and it just it, it, it takes those concepts and it pushes them to the next level. And I think that's what's great. And I think I really hope that we get more of the Suicide Squad from James Gunn because I think he's he's got this universe unlock
1: that's great that's great I love it
0: Uh, apart from that I've really just been progressing my um, let's call it my train watch or my my nighttime chill of Modern Family like I'm I've just started season four I'm just sort of chipping away at those episodes it's I'm still having so much fun Uh, I'm loving the characters even more it's if you're looking for something to sort of chill out with wind down with I highly recommend going back to Modern Family it's a good time
1: Nice. Well, we've nearly finished Atypical, so that, that will be, I hope, in the mix for a palate cleanser for us. So yeah,
0: Awesome. Shall we move on over to Rick and Morty?
1: Why not? So we're at Season 5, Episode 8, Ricturnal Friendshine of the Spotless Mort. <laughs> Rick attempts to save a beloved friend. Um, so this is a story that revolves quite, quite largely around um, the character uh, Bird Person. And I have never, I'll be honest, I've never been the biggest fan of the bird person stories throughout the Rick and Morty story. And I don't know why, but I actually really enjoyed this this one for a couple of reasons. One, I really liked the bird person story here with him, you know, him because he's in a coma and Rick is going in to save him because deep down Rick is a good guy and he likes him. And two, I also liked it because we get for the first time in a long time a solo rick story um and as much as i love the rest of the family uh once in a while i think it's pretty cool and quite refreshing to see rick just go off by himself and he's basically interacting with multiple versions of himself that have manifested themselves in the mind of bird person and then rick's dialogue with these other ricks the lines come so quick that I almost don't have time to laugh and appreciate it enough because there's another great line. that's just the, the delivery is spot on um, from, from Justin Roiland as Rick all the time. It's just, it's quality. What did you think of this one?
0: Yeah, I thought it was, I'm, I'm with you. I enjoyed having a, a Rick centric episode. Um, I thought the, the bird person stuff was, it was always kind of interesting. I love that he's called bird person. <laughs> I love some of the, the wider friends in Rick's circle. To be honest though, I'm, I'm kind of surprised this episode scored as highly as it did. Like like it, it like I it was a, a good episode, but I didn't find myself kind of laughing as much as I do in some of the other episodes. But I, I wonder if what you just said probably makes a lot of sense that the dialogue is so sharp and so witty and it's just happening so quick that you actually don't have time to really kind of appreciate the scene. Like it's just it's all go all the time.
1: Yeah. No, you're right. And I Yeah, I, I did really have a good time with this one and I would love to see um, more solo episodes. In that episode. I'd love to see one with maybe Jerry or Summer. It's a really cool thing to do every now and then. I, I love the premise um, uh, of this. I love the whole... Just like when they tried, when he was trying to get back out of his mind, and that he was like, "Did you really think you could leave the way you came in?" And then they had to go off on another adventure. And I really liked the B story, wasn't well, the B story, but the the garage, you know, the AI in the garage, uh, um, trying to convince that guy to go get a bunch of batteries. It's just, it's it, you could only do that in the show.
0: We say this all the time, but I think the the whole writing team do such an amazing job, don't they, of like bringing the show to life? And it's just, it's so pushing the boundaries and so cutting edge compared to any other show on TV. Like it's, it's self-aware, it's super smart, like that. How they even come up with some of these ideas is beyond me.
1: I just imagine when he went through the portal and he was like, oh, wow, great, I get to keep my clothes. I figured when I came through this, I'd you know, I'd have to lose my clothes and then he goes through another layer and, of course, all the clothes come off. It's like, it's just, it's, it's just, I, it's, it is for me the number one animated comedy of all time. And I, I put it above Archer. I put it above, I don't know, even like, yeah, you know, classics like The Simpsons. I just, I can't get enough. And I can't believe I came to it so late.
0: Mm. Um. I also enjoyed, actually, while well, you're talking about like like really young Rick as well. Yeah. It, was, it was a good time. It
1: was so good. And he's just insulting all himself and then he doesn't want to grow up to become the real old version. I imagine
0: the people at um, Funko, you know, who make those little figures I just like, yes, like just thinking of all the variations of the ricks that they can actually start to put out from these episodes. The, the, the toy line is limitless. All right, shall we uh, bounce on over to the penultimate episode of Star Wars The Bad Batch?
1: Oh, absolutely, Dan. Season one, episode 15, Return to Camino. The Bad Batch find themselves in unexpected territory and it says – in this thrilling finale, um, we know that there's still there's still one more to come. Um, but uh, Dan, I'll let you kick off since I went first last
0: time. Uh, <laughs> where do I where do I start? This was such a, a great episode. I enjoyed actually seeing the full Bad Batch back together again i enjoyed you know uh, like just kind of getting to understand scopes a bit more as a character um and kind of just see how particularly him and hunter interact i'm i'm so excited to kind of like wrap up uh the story for the next episode but at the same time sad and i know that you know we just had uh, official news that we're going to begin in a season two so we know that this story is going to continue which i think is awesome and i've just got to it's a bit of a generic comment, not not really about the story, but I was so in the camp when this was announced. Like, do we need more clone stories? Mm-hmm. You know, is there anything really to tell here? But I think what's been so great about this is actually just focusing on the same group of clones the whole way through, and the fact that they are different. I love the twist at the end that Scopes has already had his um, his chip removed, and that like actually that you know that was right in front of us the whole time. You know, like I think he's always kind of had that scar down the, the side of his face. Yep. And you know what? This is good. What did you think, Paul?
1: Firstly, can I say I am so pleased that for once in a while, this this time, I was able to float an idea last week, you know, that perhaps Scopes might have the chip out and decide he still wants to be Team Palpatine and stick with the Empire. And what do you know? That's already happened. And yes, he does want to. I got one right, which was great. Um sorry, Paul, you're on mute. Oh, I'll just say all that again, shall I? <laughs> I got one right. Uh, nice try. You nearly got me, actually. Um, I will go on the record and say I actually think this is the best of the season so far, and that would be topping even this this the opener, which I I really really thought was the standout. It was just another really enjoyable story. Um, the destruction of Camino, um, a planet that was always. Yeah, you know, I'm already talking about it in the past. And, you know, quite iconic, quite a unique look in terms of that pl- whole planet as ocean. And then it's just the city um, sort of really ending that story. The prime minister um, just, I just, I just found all of that really, really fascinating um, and where it's going to go to from here, having Tarkin come in, the stormtroopers or the TK stormtroopers, more story about that. Scopes giving the rest of the batch that chance and actually sort of not turning completely, but just, you know, he's still, yeah, it was just a real adult story. I can feel it. (laughs) Yes, there is. He can be turned. Um, And it was the first episode in a while where uh, I think I can say that I, I think I've just got used to Omega and I've got used to that Australian accent and it's no longer sort of sticking out uh, to me quite so blatantly. So that was, yeah, that was quite nice as well to have that moment, but um, but yeah, I think
0: I think that that's true, right? Like I think Omega is nowhere near as jarring as I think she once was, and I think you're right. I think we're we're getting a bit more used to her. I think a good shout to her around the destruction of Kamino because you know it's something we've kind of talked about a little bit, but now like to actually see those um, star destroyers like basically like blowing the blowing it all apart is a you know a pretty. Terrible event, and to just sort of wind it back a little bit from that, I I love the fact that Omega had obviously the the inside like let's land here, like if we go hover over the water, uh, you know a platform will come up. Let's take the secret tunnel, and like it's so cool that even in Camino, there's all these kind of great side stories and great great sort of story arcs to
1: explore. I did like that too. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Thunderbirds how everything was hidden under the ground. But then I actually thought about it and maybe i shouldn't have but like really what was what's the purpose of having that thing that comes up there and then you can take a tunnel across like i didn't see what purpose that served but it was it was pretty cool to watch um the one thing i was going to say to you and i don't know why or how i've never noticed this before but if you look at the the bare batch poster um the emperor is right there he's actually the biggest face on the poster right at the top and so you know we've been talking about it on and off i really feel like we are going to see him at some stage, surely. Otherwise, that has to be false advertising, and Disney Plus should refund my subscription. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. Look, I think we're in for a, a treat for the, the final episode. I think, you know, again, Dave Filoni and crew know exactly what they're doing. They're going to give us what we want. We're going to be hungry for season two. Um,. I'm just so glad with how this whole universe has kind of played out, and I actually think you know the Bad Batch will probably be a really fun watch, kind of end to end, like sitting down and watching, mm. you know, four or five episodes in a in a row, which will probably be great for when season two comes out.
1: Exactly right. Yeah, I'm already thinking about a, a rewatch of The Mandalorian for when that comes out, and the, a rewatch of this would be would be also would, would, would be great, and also wouldn't take that long because we're only looking at what 25 minute episodes, so that would be I think that would be good to watch this all in one. So yeah, good, cool.
0: Well, one more episode to go. It's um, I'm sad, I you know, we've been on a bit of a journey with this show, but um, next week it will all be over.
1: I know. What am I going to do on my Saturday afternoons?
0: Who knows? Shall we move on over to the movie of the week?
1: Indeed. Uh, so each week, movie of the week, Dad and I choose a movie and then we review it a week later. You can watch along as well we post the movie a week in advance in our discord community Uh, you can join that by clicking on the link in the show notes and then come along and enjoy the podcast review with us dan this week it was big time adolescence
0: yeah, so this is a 2019 movie, uh, basically about a suburban teenager who comes of age under the destructive guidance of his best friend, an aimless college dropout. So this movie stars Pete Davidson, um, who's in, he's in, he's sort of been on my radar quite a bit over the last sort of 12, 18 months, he did, I quite like his sort of style of comedy and humour and so the basic premise of this show is uh, Pete Davidson's character is going out with this girl who's got a younger brother Uh, they break up at some point um, but the younger brother still has a relationship with uh, Pete Davidson and basically that continues on until uh, this character uh, Griffin Gluck who plays um, Mo becomes sort of a teenager and so now there's sort of this awkward situation where Mo as a as a teenager is hanging out with Pete Davidson's character Zeke, who's in his early twenties and it's it's kind of a little bit creepy, but it's all kind of lighthearted and good. And this movie is kind of funny in the sense that it's a like it's not a it's not a super bad. It's not a good boy's it's it's not that type of humor. It's a bit more of a real life drama comedy. And I don't know about you, Paul, but I, I had a relatively good time, if not been a little bit alarmed at times.
1: Yeah, look, I would start by saying I think that this is a good movie and I think it is funny. And I think there were a lot of people who absolutely love it and I'd recommend it to whoever those people are, but holy heck. Dan, this this movie just this just triggered me. This movie. It's it's not for me. I cannot handle I would I would rather have watched Bill and Head 3 again because as painful as that was and boy it was i would rather experience that kind of pain than the type of pain this movie brought me and i'll i will talk about that a little bit but first of all i just want to quickly say griffin gluck uh who plays monroe the the young the 16 year old he is superb um apparently he was in the u.s office but i don't i don't remember him i feel like this is the first time i've ever seen him but I thought he was so good for such a young actor, so just really natural. And yeah, I, Griffin Gluck, great name. I feel like that will be a name that we will become very familiar with over time. But um, Pete Davidson, wow, this is the first time I've ever seen Pete Davidson. And I, I've heard a lot of people talk about him. I remember you talking about the King of Staten Island, and I was excited at the time because I thought you were talking about Peter Davidson, um, who of course played Doctor Who, but it turns out it was this guy um i feel like i need to see him in something else relatively quickly because i need to be able to um rid myself of this vision of him in this movie and visualize him as not being this guy because he was just he's just too much as alarmed as you said
0: it's funny because i think the this movie actually feels very similar to me to the king of Staten island it, it's it's a very like you could almost say they uh, Pete Davidson's character is the same, and I think some of the things that Paul's alluding to here is you imagine you've got a young son who you know who's a pretty good kid, he's doing well in school, and he's just been influenced by this other character who's you know into drugs, into a bit of a, a hard lifestyle, kind of low cares about anything in the world and kind of, you know, no sense of kind of right or wrong and largely kind of sees everything he's doing as pretty harmless. And meanwhile, you've actually also, this film actually also stars John Cryer, who some of you may remember from uh, Two and a Half Men. And he plays the dad of um of Mo. And like he's He's the worrying dad. He's he's the Paul in the situation, kind of being like, <laughs> oh, my son, like, what are you doing?" Um, look, I, I think this is this is a good watch. Like, it's it's probably a, about a three gun for me.
1: Yeah, I don't know about that for me. I don't know. I, I like I said, it is a good movie, and, and I can see it's funny. I I um, I'm not going to overshare on the podcast, but I will say this movie. I don't think it maybe triggers me because for my own time of being that age of that character of Monroe, I feel like I had quite a few people around me who were a bit like Pete Davidson's character, um, Zeke and just being put in positions where if I said no to this or that I didn't want to get involved with something that the rest of the gang thought might be cool or dangerous or rebellious or fun. Like, I don't know. I just, uh, maybe I had a real straight and narrow adolescence and I have no regrets about that. But this, those scenes where this kid is being pressured or feeling like he has to do something so that people don't think you're a loser i hate all that and to to its credit this movie does it really well with all those scenes because i'm just rooting for monroe to stick to his guns the whole time and um yeah it's uh i remember messaging you when i was about halfway through this 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 movie and i think i said something like my kids will never see this movie done but actually i'm thinking maybe they should well, maybe you know, not right now. They're seven and eleven. That would be crazy. But <laughs> later, um, and they can see for themselves why you you shouldn't give in to the pressure. Because I, oh, yeah. it's it, it's a fascinating watch, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, look. There's definitely no shortage of awkward moments. Um, but I think I don't. I, I guess just a different experience. I, I always found myself and had to look past it. And I I just enjoyed kind of um, Pete Davidson's sort of style of. of Dark humour kind of does something for me which I think is is fun. And it's very similar to the King of Staten Island, like, you know, that whole scene around when uh he tattoos uh Monroe and Oh my like,
1: goodness. Oh my goodness. Just I think you need a cup of tea. I actually spotted myself in this movie, Dan. There's, a, there's that scene where, do you remember when Monroe he's leaving the party and he has like an embarrassing conversation at the door and then as the door slams and he turns around and there's the dad just sitting on the couch, not saying a word, but just staring at him and basically just waiting for him to get the hell out of his house so that he can get back to his book and that look of disgust on his face. <laughs> that was me just watching, I think. But um I, uh, yeah, I... I i would be really interested to see what other people thought of this movie because it everyone plays their character so well Like pete davison could not have played zeke any better in terms of all the things and the ending oh dan it's such a sad ending like i just felt so sorry for everyone at that point when zeke's just left on the side of the road oh, sorry spoilers but you know it's it's sad
0: it's funny hey, with movies like this, like, this is a movie, like, I definitely wouldn't have gone to the theatre to see it, and if we didn't do something like a uh, movie of the week, like, I may not have ever watched it, um, but it's only like, you know, when you're like, oh, I've got to choose a movie, and it's always, for me, a bit of a, if it's a, if it's an okay to good movie, I'm like, oh, it's not too bad, you know, I had a good time.
1: Yeah, no, it's, uh, I won't say I had a good time, but it's certainly a very powerful story, Dan.
0: What is your guns running for?
1: i put aside my own I, I go two and a half.
0: Two and a half. Yeah. okay okay all right that's that's fair that's fair look you can't win them all they can all be blockbusters
1: correct seven out of ten on imdb um so i think that's that's worthy of a watch for sure
0: indeed so you can watch that on neon here in new zealand all right shall i take us on over to the news
1: desk yes indeed let's go
0: Alright, so it looks like, you know, we've just been talking about Rick and Morty, we are getting a one-hour season finale of that show, so brilliant! looks like we're in for a, a bit of a special treat on that one, so another 10-episode show, I imagine. Love it. Um, it looks like we've got some early news that Stranger Things Season 4 is going to be premiering in 2022. I don't know about you paul but i'm i'm a little bit disappointed I, I wanted it this year i feel like it's been a long time since season three of stranger things um but good things come to those who wait
1: indeed yeah i saw the the, the teaser ta- trailer for it and um it sort of it wets the appetite and then and then when you sort of start realizing how long you have to wait it's it's almost like you'd rather you hadn't seen the teaser because it's sort of it, it's brought it it's brought it back to your mind and you know season 3 was 2019 so i mean i guess what covid that's it right
0: definitely and i think what's kind of tough with a, a movie like this is these kids are obviously you know you know they were kind of young young teenagers to start with. I think by the time we get season four, if we get a season five and six, you know, like these, we're talking they're now adults and it's quite a transition. So you kind of want the story to sort of progress at a, a relative pace uh, before it becomes awkward. Anyway, um, I don't know if you were a fan of the movie Chronicle um, that came out several years ago. It was a, a great sort of superhero movie. Um, came out in 2012 sort of a bit of a, a different superhero movie they're working on a, a sequel to that movie with a new female lead set 10 years after the original movie so if you're a fan of that one you might want to check it out.
1: I love it when they do that when they sort of revisit something that you thought was a done deal one time only and they, they just bring a sequel in 10 years, I love that
0: Definitely Uh, Speaking of sequels, uh, Deadpool 3 apparently has a 70% chance of starting production next year, according to Ryan Reynolds. Wow. Uh, Quentin Tarantino says that he would cast Adam Driver as Rambo if he remade First Blood. Sign me up, Paul. I am 100% interested.
1: That's a real different take on Rambo, but Tarantino, Adam Driver, can't go wrong, surely.
0: Indeed, indeed. What a great series to kind of do a bit of a remake on. And saying that, I understand that um, Stallone is actually looking at a, one final Rambo movie, so it might be a while before we before we get that uh, coming to fruition. Uh, Cobra Kai is officially coming back for season four in December, so that's all confirmed, which is great news. Definitely a, a favorite show by me. Get around it if you haven't seen it. Um, I've already mentioned that The Bad Batch has been renewed for Season 2, which means we'll be getting a new season of that next year. And then the final bit of news for me is that Sonic the Hedgehog 2 casts Idris Elba as Knuckles. Amazing. Sonic the Hedgehog, fantastic movie. Definitely watch it if you haven't seen it. Having Idris Elba as Knuckles, I'm all about it. He's the man. Can't get enough of
1: it. Idris Elba in anything, right? That's great.
0: Indeed indeed. And that, Paul, is all I have. Anything from your end?
1: Yeah, a couple of little bits and pieces. So John Lithgow uh, has joined the cast for Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, which is going to be an Apple TV series. I think it's just piling up now, Dan, all these series on Apple. I mean, Ted Lasso, I'm just waiting to see. Now, there's so much stuff here. This is a series that will include Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro. Um, It's you're throwing in big names. I feel like that could be an absolute an absolute winner. Um, the biggest one I saw this week is, and I just can't believe I'm about to say this, but Clint Eastwood is back as a cowboy on screen once again, cry macho, and I just, every time you see him in a movie you think well that surely is that i remember thinking that with gran torino trouble with the curve it just it keeps on going and to have him come back in as a cable again if that were to be the final one that would feel really fitting for me i really that was really pleasing to read um what are uh, stranger things we've got what was the other thing oh um netflix um has released a trailer for a 9 uh drama called worth and it stars uh, Michael Keaton which obviously piqued my interest but um just a really interesting premise in terms of that he plays the man assigned by congress to determine how much compensation to be should be given to the families I mean just I mean uh, part of me just doesn't even want to watch that but I just find that just I I, I almost need to know I find it just uh, a really it's going to be a really sad watch I feel but um yeah that was the the, the couple of things that caught my eye uh, this week, for me, on the news, desk, Dan. Very cool. And anything in the mailbag this week? Indeed, Dan. In fact, it is actually a little bit of a bumper mailbag. So I hope you indulge me. Um, as we have, we've got new listeners. We've had feedback from the cast of Transformers: War for Cybertron. We've even received a couple of reviews from them too. So, so let's 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 roll out. Um, first up. Uh, last week's peak performance so was director's chair taika waititi um we had three people come in jason from poirua uh went with Thor ragnarok, ragnarok is that how you say it? uh guy dudlington from mississippi he got in touch with us on facebook and commented that um taika waititi made the best marvel movie ever with Thor ragnarok um Plus, he loves the brilliant what we do in the shadows. He also says he liked Jojo Rabbit. Thought it was good, but that the bleakness of the story clashed with the comedy. Um, Thanks for getting in touch, Guy. Paddy uh, from Time Travelling Team. He gave us two picks this week uh, because he hasn't seen too much of Tiger stuff. Uh, Mandalorian, as an honorable mention, I presume. And in number one spot, uh, Thor Ragnarok. So a lot of love for that Thor movie, um, all three coming in. Paddy, what do you do when you can't do a three-two-one? You do a 2-1. You do a 2-1. <laughs> um, what else have we got? Also, last week we reviewed the BBC series uh, Time, the uh, prison drama on Merseyside, Dan. <laughs> Sorry, I, that's the last time I'll ever do that. We, um, we actually had Paddy Rowan, uh, who played uh, Stephen Graham's son, Uh, david the one who's getting attacked in prison he liked our review on twitter and then he started following us on instagram so that was pretty cool and hannah waters uh who played stephen graham's wife in in time she she liked our instagram story and then I, i had a look at her fun fact she's also stephen graham's wife in real life I thought that was quite fascinating. And apparently he cast her in that because he he thought that she would fit the part as his partner. And <laughs> it's kind of like, here's the credentials. She is my partner. I thought that was fascinating. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so last week as well, our review of Transformers War for Cybertron Kingdom. And listeners who've been with us for a while may recall we've always had heaps of engagement from the, the cast and crew of this series. And this final chapter is is no exception. We had so much, in fact, that I'll only give the highlights so firstly, across, you know, Instagram, Twitter, the whole things, we had likes and retweets from Frank Todaro, Jason Monoka, Edward Bosco, Gene Carr, Aaron Ebers, Bill Rogers, and Aaron Veach. Or to put that in another way, that equates to Megatron, Same Wave, Ultra Magnus, Prowl, Wheeljack, Black Arachnia, Galvatron, Airazor, and, of course, friend of the show, Starscream. That's nine Transformers, Dan. The kid in me will never... Ever comprehend that, I don't think. That is more than meets the eye. It's nicely done. Um, we also had the head writer for the whole trilogy, FJ DeSanto, and the composer of the music, uh, Alexander Bornstein, and the producer of the whole trilogy, Vincent Tilenti, also share our review. And Dan, this one's always my favourite. Whenever we get this, and we had this just last week as well, we had four of the cast listen to a podcast review um which is always the most exciting erin ebers who plays air um a character from uh well probably more more better known from the the beast wars uh, uh series generally she got in touch uh she said um what a great podcast uh thank you so much for sharing this with me i'm so pl- pleased you like the series um she loves she says one of the, t- the coolest things is that um, she gets to be her own toy because there's the War for Cybertron toys. Um, her husband bought her two. That was pretty cool. Uh, who else do we have? Jason Monoka, who voices Megatron Listen. And now uh, he's listened to all three of our reviews. And that is crazy because I figured if after the first one, he just thought we were a couple of dicks, you know, he he just wouldn't listen again. So for Megatron to tune in three times to us – uh, that for me makes Megatron a regular listener. I think we can go on the record for saying.
0: I like to think of him actually sitting there as Megatron, yep. just kind of listening to the podcast. And he's probably listening to it with no headphones. And people like Starscream are like, oh, why doesn't he listen with the headphones <laughs> on? You know, and it's like, he's Megatron. He does what he wants. That's true.
1: I love that. Um, he appreciated the correct pronunciation of his name as well, by the way, after he corrected us uh, last time uh, uh, with the, the the middle series there what was it called Earthrise. um so that was nice um and then jean carr who played black arachnia she listened and she also uh commented on our post um it was such an honor to be part of the wonderful franchise transformers thank you both so much i enjoyed your podcast as well i give your podcast five spiders so we now have uh, a five spider rating how about that?
0: I think that's great. Um, I've been testing that out this week. I've had a few negative reactions to "Ah, spiders, but I like the fact that we could maybe have, it gets like four guns and it gets five spiders. I I love that. You know, it gives like double meaning.
1: It does indeed. Uh, And finally, of course, Frank Todaro, uh, Starscream, uh, he thanked us again. And Dan, I have it in writing, so this is this is now we can hold him, okay. He says that when he's coming over to New Zealand in the future, his first stop is going to be to have a beer with us. Then I need some new clothes because I cannot go out meeting Starscream dressed like this. How about that?
0: Uh, that would be epic. Imagine sitting there having having beers with Starscream. Imagine, like, we're gonna be like kids. We're gonna be like, <laughs> do the voice, do the voice. <laughs>
1: I just, I need to process that because that's exactly, I was like, I was always thinking, we'd have to say right from the start, can you just do the voice so we can get that out the way? And then, then we'll maybe talk other stuff.
0: Do my voicemail, do any, <laughs> like, you know, do my ringtone. I, I need it all.
1: It It's it's going to be great. So, so, yeah, so absolutely brilliant to have four of the cast listening in um really 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 fantastic and thank you of course to everyone who got in touch with us both regular listeners and of course from Cybertron this week as well that is the mailbag this week
0: Amazing. Well, I'll take us on over to our peak performances. So, each week, Paul and I take turns choosing actors, actresses, directors, producers, um, and we choose what we think is their peak performance. This week, Paul, we are going with Alex Baldwin.
1: Indeed, and um, so this this was my pick, and it was actually watching over the last week, um, Doctor uh, Doctor Death, that inspired me to. To go with that at Baldwin because uh, I just, just watching him, I was just like, do you know what? I just love this guy, I've seen him in so much stuff. So, honorable mention for me before I give my performance honorable mention, I'm going with The Departed 2006. This is a movie for me that I cannot separate him from Matt Wahlberg. I think the two of them. We're just dynamite in this movie and the way he plays his scenes off with Martin Sheen as well I really rate him in this he's amongst some really big names but he's for me he's still a standout performance he's really at the top of his game and you know it's a brilliant movie I've I've watched it quite a few times and if anything I think I don't think Alec Baldwin's almost in it enough. I feel like they could have almost fleshed his character out even more. But um, I, I just really enjoy every single scene that he's in in that movie. So that's my that's my honorable mention. And then my yeah, my my peak performance for Alec Baldwin. Uh, I'm going all the way back to what's the year? Goodness me, I'm still scrolling to find it. That's incredible. Nineteen ninety. Yeah. The Hunt for Red October, and what's funny is, so the fact that I had to scroll for so long because he's been in so much stuff, is this is the first thing I ever saw him in, and so to me, I whenever I see Alec Baldwin or anything, I still have this Jack Ryan association, and I think he's so good in this movie that even though I'm a huge fan of Harrison Ford, I'm still a little bit annoyed uh, that he didn't. I wish he'd carried on in that role for those next two movies because. He's just so good. He and Sean Connery obviously have that great dialogue, but he's so convincing. He's obviously so much younger back then. He's got a real assurity about him. He's He's got a real... I don't know, Jack Ryan is, is obviously such a great character in any iteration I've seen him in, but Alec Baldwin, for me, probably still sets that bar for, for everyone else who's followed him all the way through to John Krasinski. Um, this, this is classic, and I would... I would actually even argue it's probably the greatest submarine movie of all time. So that's my peak performance for Alec Baldwin. What about you?
0: Great choices, Paul. So um, I'm actually going with Hunt for Red October as my, um, uh, what are we calling the Honourable mention. Honourable mention. Um, for all the same reasons that you said, I, I think this this is hands down the best submarine movie. I This is such a, a great, Alec Baldwin, because it's, as you say, this is a bit of a a younger, different um, Alec Baldwin to what we kind of get in the later years. Like he plays such different characters these days Mm -hmm. and his performance next to Sean Connery just goes, they're going toe-to-toe the whole time and it's just fantastic. This movie could have easily been in my number one spot, Um, but I I have another as my peak performance. So I'm actually going to go with Alec Baldwin for his role as um, Jack Donahue in 30 Rock. So I don't know if you've ever watched 30 Rock or not, but this isn't, you know, we talk Palette Cleanser shows all the time. This is one of my favorite Palette Cleanser shows. I absolutely love 30 Rock. i The whole cast is fantastic. I love kind of the the sketch comedy element sort of like baked into the show and just the way that like Jack's, um, or Alex's role as Jack and just playing the 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 chief executive, the CEO, the like he's such a he's such an arsehole in his role, but he's he's got these great sort of one-liners. He's he's so brutal, particularly to um, Tina Fey's character, Liz Lemon, and it's it's just a lot of fun. And I I really like the way that he's kind of he's aged into these roles. It's it's a really good time. So for me, Hunt for Red October and Thirty Rock,
1: two great choices, and I just can't believe 138 episodes seven years for 30 rock that really did go for quite a while great choice great choice
0: well paul that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the half measures podcast
1: does indeed and don't forget if you want to get in touch with us much like megatron starscream after magnus Sam wave and all the rest of the gang uh, you can do so at half measures pod on facebook twitter or instagram or at halfmeasurespodcast.com. And uh, yeah, thanks once again to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, for supporting this week's episode.
0: Also, a special shout out to our Patreon producers, Trisha Brady and Samara King. If you too would like to become a patron of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.